Hello, everybody. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here on a lovely Saturday morning in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going back in time to February 18th, 2014 to talk about salt. Our episode, How Salt Works, is one of my all-time favorites. I love salt because I'm from the South. Probably like it a little too much, if you ask my doctor, but that salty, salty goodness on food just makes it all pop for me. But uh, it has a really cool, interesting backstory, how you get salt, how you harvest salt, and how salt works on food. Learn all about it right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Oh, yeah, Jerry's over there. She's all laughy today for some reason. Old salty dog. She is. Why did salty, calling someone salty, I wonder where that came from. I meant to look that up. That's the one I didn't look up. Yeah, because, you know, you're in a salty mood. Yeah. I've said that plenty. Uh, I don't know if that comes from, like, a salty dog. Here's here you. This is this is my idea. Okay. So salty <laughs> describes somebody who is a little coarse, a little rough around the edges, a hey. little upset. Hear me out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because their face is usually puckered into like a a, a a sourpuss face. Yeah. And what makes your face pucker? Eating salt. <laughs> so it? they're a salty person. Okay. I would call them lemony. Well, uh, so take something with a grain of salt. It's yeah. It's actually ancient. That's from. Uh, the Romans. Okay. Um, they would take poison with a grain of salt. There's something that was hard to swallow with a grain of salt to make it go down more easily. Okay. Let's somebody, go ahead and cover these then. Somebody not being worth their salt. Yeah. In this article, it says that um, slaves were traded with salt. And if you got your hands on like a, a slave that wasn't worth much, like the, he wasn't worth his salt. Is that not the uh, origin? I found the first reference in print came from an 1805 description or book about an expedition to Guinea-Bissau, uh-huh. and it mentions a guy who wasn't worth his salt. He's a good man, Peter Hale, mm-hmm. H-A-Y-L-E, um, but he wasn't worth his salt, the guy said. And I looked it up, and I couldn't find that whether Hale was hired or was a slave, mm-hmm. but I got the impression that um, what the guy was talking about wasn't that he had traded salt for hail but not worth the salt like in his body no he was not worth the salt meaning a salary which supposedly salary is rooted in the idea of paying someone in salt yeah same with soldiers sal dare means to give salt uh salad too the word salad comes from the word salt really yeah apparently so salt is a it's a it's an important thing historically speaking there's been Economies largely based on salt. There have been um, cultures raided by other cultures because of salt. Um, if you were an ancient salt-producing area, probably the rulers controlled with a tight grip um, that salt production and salt dr- distribution. Yeah. Um, and that actually carried on into the modern age when, the, when Great Britain was occupying India. They had a tight control on salt production there. Um, and actually, Gandhi started a, a revolution or helped along the revolution to overthrow British imperial power through a salt protest. He yeah. walked 240 miles to the coast where the salt production facilities were and grabbed a bit of salty clay 
and boiled it, boiled the salt out of it, which was an illegal act. Yeah. And that protest spurred other similar protests, and the British were like, oh, hey, you can't do that, mate. You can't mine your own salt. Right. But he did, because he was Gandhi. It was called the Salt March to Dandi. By Gandhi. By Gandhi. <laughs> uh, yeah, salt dates back to 6050 BC, and they actually have found evidence of salt trading in prehistoric times. So... Uh, obviously, it's used to spice food is great, but it's used to preserve food was super valuable. Yeah, uh, back in the day and still today. Because salt is one of these things. You remember, nature loves homeostasis; it loves balance. Oh yeah. And if you introduce salt to the mix, it kind of throws off that balance. So, to gain homeostasis, salt is introduced into, say, meat. It likes to go into the meat. Yes. But it also draws out the moisture, whether it's blood, water, whatever. Yeah. So it dries out the meat. It introduces the salt, and it draws out the moisture. That's right. That's called curing, which yeah. preserves things. Because anytime bacteria comes in contact with that salty meat from that point on, the bacteria, boom, gets dried out and dies. Yeah. That's why packaged foods are still loaded with sodium. Yeah. Unfortunately. I got some stuff on that later. But... uh it was used as a currency in Ethiopia up until the 20th century mm-hmm. and was used as a form of suicide in China for nobility. They would OD on salt and kill themselves. Oh, yeah. Because it was expensive and uh, oh, wow. very valuable. So nobility, that's like, it was like a noble way to go out. We'll talk in a minute like what happens when you have too much salt. It's not very pleasant. It's not very pleasant. But you know, in medieval Europe, remember we did the 10 medieval torture devices uh-huh. episode? Well, we skipped one called the goat's tongue, and it was apparently a real thing. A tickle torture. <laughs> they would dip your feet tickle in salt prison. water, bring in a goat, and the goat would lick the bottom of your feet, <laughs> and then they would dip it again. And from was that in the article? The description, no, huh? Oh, okay. I'm saying like it wasn't in there. We gotcha. missed it. Um, from the description, apparently, being tortured, tickled, tortured was not pleasant. I would love to have my feet licked by a goat. I, they would do it until you did not love it. That was the point of the goat's tongue torture. That sounds like fun to me. Yeah. Uh, in the Middle Ages, salt uh, was transported <laughs> along the notorious Old Salt Route in I northern know, Germany. I know what I'm going to get you for Christmas now. <laughs> a, a goat and some salt water. I've, I've had both at the same time. I don't know why I didn't think about it. Uh, it <laughs> played a big role in early America as well. Yeah. Uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony um, had the first patent to produce salt here in the colonies. Yeah, salt water Here in taffy. the colonies. And uh, they did so for 200 years. Uh, the Erie Canal opened primarily... Uh, to transport salt. Yeah, they called it the ditch that salt built. Really? Uh-huh. That sounds like something you just made up. No, I swear. <laughs> I've been on the Erie Canal. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they, they have this nice uh, system of locks. Sure. And um, they used to, there's still like donkey trails from where the donkeys used to pull these little yeah. flat bottom boats that would carry salt and whatnot. And now yuppies walk along those trails. Yeah, jog. Yuppies. Are there still yuppies? Oh, yeah. Dinks. Yeah. Or I heard one the other day. Uh, dual income, large dog owner. <laughs> All right. In the early 1800s, salt was apparently four times expensive as beef uh, because salt was valuable, obviously, and we were lousy with beef. And in the Civil War, salt played a big uh, part in the Union strategy. Um, there were quite a few battles fought over capturing Salt works and salt mines. Yeah, in Saltville, Virginia. Yeah, I saw that. Wonder one. what they do there. <laughs> in 
And it actually had a big effect on the salt shortage on the Confederate uh, troops. Yeah, not just the troops, but the people behind the lines back in the sure. Confederate states were like, we want our salt. And it had a huge impact on morale, apparently. I would say so. And the the reason why salt is so important, if you haven't gotten the impression that it is important by now, yeah. you should rewind the podcast and just <laughs> listen to the last several minutes over again. Yeah. Salt is extraordinarily important because the human body requires it. It's something that we need to survive and to live, so much so that we actually have a taste sense for it. Yeah, it's the only, you don't need bitter to live. No. Or sour. No. Or, or umami. As a matter of fact, things like bitter and sour mm-hmm. are there, I think, to detect things that we shouldn't be eating. Sure. Salt is to detect something we need. That's right. And we can actually, this is so mind-blowing to me. I love the human body. I think it's amazingly wonderful in ways <laughs> that we don't even fully understand yet. But consider this. When you need salt, yeah. your body produces a craving in you for salt. Yeah. That is awesome. Like, I'm one of those believers. I, I don't follow it necessarily myself, but in a <laughs> diet, well, no, think about it. In a diet yeah. where you just eat what you crave. Right. I think it can go off the rails because I think that we uh, well, have crave been, the wrong things now. Y- yes, yeah. now. But if you could go back 150 years, yeah. maybe, sure. I would bet you could survive pretty easily and, and thrive on a diet where you were just kind of led by your cravings. Like, oh, I need some eggs. Right. I'm going to eat a couple eggs. <laughs> I, I need have some cravings steak. like that, though. You don't. No. You should pay attention to yourself. Listen to what your body is telling you, and I'll bet you find that you do have specific cravings for specific moods or foods that are, like, very (laughs) simple. Yeah. Like, meat. Like, Chuck, go eat a steak. Chuck, go eat some eggs. Like, things that are basic staples. I'll bet you'll notice you have cravings. Salt, uh, let's, let's break it down chemically. Okay. Um, it's sodium and chlorine are the two basic elements in salt. I think we all know this. Which are electrolytes. That's right, and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, sodium is uh, silvery white metal, and it is neither one of these are like super friendly independently of one another. No. You know, like... Um, Especially chlorine. Yeah, sodium reacts violently if you mix it with water and oxidizes in air. Chlorine uh, exists in gas at a room temperature. They're both really volatile. But when you put them together and you have sodium chloride... They make beautiful music. It makes beautiful halite uh, and beautiful music. And uh, sodium chloride is is about a 60-40 mix sodium to chloride, by the way. Is that right? Yeah. Nice. And it makes little cubes, right? Yeah. Like The the molecules are cubical. Right. The sodium packs in pretty tight, and then the chlorine fills in the rest, and they make tiny little cubes. Uh, It's actually reversed. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> the chloride <laughs> is packed and then the sodium fills in. But, you know. Huh, I would have thought the sodium was bigger. Oh, well. Um, but what you have is NaCl. That's right. And you mentioned electrolytes. Uh, those are minerals that conduct electricity in our body, in our fluids and tissues. Which is very important for Super our important. Like muscle movement. We run on electricity. Heart basically. contraction. Yeah. Involuntary muscle um, moves through electrical impulses. I guess all muscles do. Yeah, you want your eyes to blink, buddy? Yeah. Eat some salt. Right. <laughs> and so there's two conditions that you can have conceivably. Well, three. Three would be just all the systems are normal. But um, the other two is too little salt and too much salt. And too little salt is called hyponatremia. Yeah, that's what that lady died of, the uh, hold your wee for a wee contest. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can OD on water, and I guess that's what you would ultimately die from is hyponatremia. Yeah. Uh, there's water toxicity. Um, if you have too much water, you probably have too little salt because water flushes salt from your system. It's the method that ki- your kidneys use to maintain the balance of salt and other electrolytes yeah. in your body. And that's why you might drink Gatorade if you're uh, working out because it has electrolytes in it. Right, exactly. That's why it, it tastes salty. You don't want to water your cropland with it, though. No, no, no. As we found from the movie Idiocracy. <laughs> Yeah, and I actually found, too, that in the um, 1980s, there was a lot of controversy over salting roads, killing uh, roadside vegetation. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, th- that if you were into conquests and that kind of thing, yeah. and you wanted to make sure that the land you just occupied couldn't be used to grow crops to feed an opposing ar- army, mm-hmm. you would plow the land with salt. Salt you would the salt earth. the earth, yeah. Which is not the salt of the earth, because that means you're a good fella. Right. Yeah. But not a good fella. Because those guys are salty. <laughs> wow, look at you. That was, that was a team effort. That was clever wordplay, my friend. Uh, if you take diuretics um, or you have like massive diarrhea for a period of days or vomiting or some sort of stomach bug, uh-huh. uh, you might be at risk for uh, hyponatremia. Yeah, it's because good. you're flushing out all of this, all of your electrolytes. Yeah, this is salt that your body needs. So if it's out of balance, you're going to suffer things like, um, well, an inability for your heart to beat, which is often fatal. Yeah. Kidney problems. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, you can have hypernatremia, which is too much salt. And like you said, if you're a Chinese aristocrat, um, you may die from hypernatremia. Yeah, they even had a... a, a, um, Oh, man. Sometimes I blank out on a word. How-to manual? Well, it's sort of like how many grams of salt you needed per pound in your body. They yeah. had a, like a chart, I guess. Yeah. If you want to kill yourself in ancient China, here's how you do it. Yeah. Here's how much salt you need. Man, I bet that was rough. Did you like that? Yeah. I'm off today. No, you're not. I'm a little off. You were on. Uh, my my microphone just swerved to the left. <laughs> that That's was never weird. happened. <laughs> There's a ghost in here. Yeah. Um. So too much sodium, I think you said already, is hypernatremia instead of hypo. Yeah, hyper... Hyper, hypo. Exactly. It's like glycemia, but with natremia. <laughs> exactly. And with hypernatremia, basically, remember how salt, if you, um, if you uh, introduce it to, say, a jerky of some sort, yeah. it will dry it out. Or because, a slug. Yes, which is a shameful yeah. thing to do. Don't do that. Um, if you introduce it to a meat or something like that, it's going to dry it out because yeah. it, it, through uh, osmosis in search of homeostasis. Um, it does the same thing to your blood and your extracellular fluids. That salt will draw out the fluids in your cells, yeah, but will maintain it in your blood. Yeah, it's water retention, basically. Yeah. Your kidneys, when it has too much salt to deal with, kicks it around the blood supply. Just like, remember in the hangover episode? Yeah. When you, if, why drugs are so fatal uh, when you drink a lot of alcohol? Because your kidneys are trying to process your um, oh, yeah. the alcohol so it keeps the drugs just going around and around in your blood supply right same thing with too much salt uh, if your kidneys have too much to deal with they just keep the excess going around in your blood and since that salt is drawing out all the excess moisture it increases the volume of your blood which makes your blood pressure rise which makes your heart beat harder uh, yes yeah which supposedly logically, would put you at risk for a stroke or heart attack. And that's how you would die from hypernatremia. Yeah, I have high blood pressure. Well, supposedly sodium, cutting your sodium down, isn't going to help. 
Yeah, it, there's a lot of conflicting data on that for sure. Um, we'll, we'll get to nutrition soon. We'll cover that. So, Chuck, um, there, like you said, there's a lot of controversy over how much salt or how little salt you should have on a daily basis in your diet. Yeah. Um, the Heart uh, National Heart, Blood, and Lung Institute say uh, no more than 2.4 grams of sodium. It's about a teaspoon per day. Uh, Americans, they found, consume an average of about 3.4 per day. Uh, so that's one gram too much on average. And um, you actually don't need more than about a half a gram a day if you want to maintain that stasis. So, yeah, just for your electrolyte intake. The thing is, though, um, there was for many years, because it makes sense that if if too much salt increases your blood pressure, then too much salt should be... um, should put you at risk for strokes and heart attacks, right? Yeah. Well, the CDC panel surveyed material and all did and all all sorts of studies that found no cutting your sodium intake doesn't really in, doesn't decrease your risk of heart attack or stroke. And as a matter of fact, there is was it just more hereditary? They don't know what it is. Okay. They just know that basically below three thousand grams. Or 3,000 milligrams of salt <laughs> yeah. and s- above 7,000 milligrams of salt a day were two groups that were at higher risk of heart attack. Okay. So if you have too little salt, you're at yeah. higher risk of heart attack too. Okay, so try to keep it between uh, 3,000 and 4,000 milligrams. 3,000 and 7,000. 7,000 The thing is, is they, they don't... They weren't comfortable re- making any recommendation. They were just saying, like, this is what we found. Everyone's scared to, like, go on the record. Yeah, because we just don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense that you would have a heart attack if you ate less than three grams of salt a day. Yeah. That that flies in the face of, of um, conventional wisdom, and nobody's figured out why yet. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something you should monitor at the very least, sure. because I think a lot of people look at fat grams and calories, and all that stuff is great to look at nutritionally. But um, when you start poking around on the soup can mm-hmm. and you see, wow, this chicken noodle soup has 890 milligrams of sodium. But it's so good. In this one little can. Which is almost a gram of sodium. Yeah, close to it. Uh, a quarter pounder with bacon and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do Big Macs? <laughs> no, nah, I should have done Big Mac. You communist. I, I think Big Macs, actually, I did see. This is 1,440 milligrams. A Big Mac, I think, was around 1,100. Wow. Quarter um, pounders more? With the bacon, I think. Oh. Adds, uh, they have like a whole bacon onion ranch or something <laughs> topping that you can put on quarter pounders now. I've really? not yet tried this, but like I think about it from time to time. <laughs> like right now? Yeah, right now especially. Uh, so at any rate, just give it a look. Like soups are notoriously high in sodium. Packaged foods are notoriously high in sodium. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just think about the table salt that you use. Like, oh, I didn't salt my food that much today. If you eat a lot of packaged food, you're eating a lot of sodium. Yeah, and nobody can tell you how much you should be eating or shouldn't be eating. But like you said, it's good to just pay attention to that kind of thing because you probably are eating a lot more than you realize. Yeah, and you should be eating a lot of packaged food anyway. I'll just go ahead and say that. So, um, Chuck. Yes. What kinds of salt are there? Well, first of all, I should say I love salt. 
I do too. Salt and pepper are my favorite two spices. I'm from the South. Mm-hmm. I have a taste for salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and pork fat. Yeah. That's pretty Southern too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so I love salt. I like good Mediterranean sea salt. That's what I use at my house. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm going to plug this local saltier. I just made that word up. Oh. Later in the show. Well, okay. But um, I'm a big salt fan. I like salt too. Okay. I like sweet. I like umami. I like um, sour. I'm training myself to like bitter through the use of Campari. Yeah. Like I, I, I found out that I'm a bitter super taster. Yeah. So like things that seem like normal to other people are like really bitter to me. Like Do you grapefruit. have one example? Grapefruit, grapefruit Campari. That's, oh, that's bitter. Yeah, but it's like like disgustingly bitter to me. Like I can't understand how the rest of humanity eats grapefruit. I don't like grapefruit. Well, maybe you're a bitter super taster too. You and me, buddy. But I have to tell you this. I've trained myself to like um, grapefruit and Campari just by exposure. Like I've come to appreciate them more. What's Campari? It's a bar. Uh, uh, it's like a bitter uh, digestif for aperitif. Okay. You do like a Campari and soda. It's in a Negroni. Right. Oh, I think I've seen people like if their stomach's upset or is that bitters and soda? Uh, well, Campari is a type of bitters. Okay. It's not that super compact bitters like right, right. Angostura, yeah. but it is a type of bitter. I think it's a digestif. Okay. It's good stuff. Anyway, I like salt. Uh, what I'm really saying there is I like well-seasoned food, and if you're a chef or a home chef, you know that salt is important to cooking, super important, mm-hmm. and baking, obviously. But bland food, can't do it. No. What's the point? What is the point? Agreed. Types of salt. Let's start with table salt. And and look, man, if your if your doctor put you on like a, a bland food diet, yeah, I feel for you. But there's stuff out there you can eat. There's Spike. There's Mrs. Dash. There's you should be seasoning your food to some extent. Sure. Like bland food is 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 like it's a bland life. Yeah, they even have the imitation salt, the new the new salt. I didn't uh, do any research on that, but I've bought it before. <laughs> and you, and do you like it? Well, I didn't use it that much, but it's it exists in my home. I see. <laughs> Next to the empty thing of Mediterranean sea salt. I got you. Yeah. Um, all right, so table salt's the first one we should cover. That's the traditional um, either iodized or non-iodized fine-grained salt that you see in many, many homes yeah. and restaurants. And it's iodized. I did a little research into this. Did you look up iodized salt? Yeah, well, I mean, I know that they they added it because at one point it was sort of like fluoride. They thought, yeah, well, we much. we need this, and a good place to put it is in salt. Well, yeah, because most people use salt, and we'll just put it into table salt because it's an easy additive. But um, there was a a real problem with hyperthyroidism. Yeah, things like goiters, mental retardation, um, just uh, poor fetal development, linked to um, iodine deficiency. Right? Yeah, so they put it in salt, and apparently. There, it's considered to be responsible for this thing called the Flynn effect, which there was like a three IQ point rise in the middle of the 20th century in Western nations, mm-hmm. and nobody could figure out what it is. And they think now that it was because they added iodine to salt. Really? And so it had the aggregate effect of raising our IQ by um, preventing poor fetal development. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's still a problem in other parts of the world, just not here in North America. Right. Other parts of the world that don't have iodized salt. You know how dumb they are. Oh, man. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm just kidding. You need to apologize to the rest of the world for I'm that. I'm sorry, everybody. 
so like I said, table salt is the most common salt. Uh, they remove all the impurities. Um, they have things in there to make it uh, not clump and stick mm-hmm. together, and so it pours freely. So even when it rains, it pours? <laughs> well, should we get to that? Yeah, don't you have something on that? Yeah, the, um, I just for some reason thought of the Morton Salt Girl, and like every great advertising story, they were like, how do we... It was sort of a new thing at the time in 1911 to package salt this way in a container with a spout. How'd they package it before? I don't know. Big blocks, probably. Is that right? Like a deer lick or something? I'm not sure, actually. But I know that this was a fairly revolutionary product to package it like this and process it like this. Um, So the agency was um, N.W. Ayer and Company. Mm -hmm. And Don Draper walks in (laughs) and says, I've got 12 proposals for you. Uh, Which one do you like? And Sterling Morton of the Morton Company, uh, of course, it's always someone else, like his son or his wife or something. It was his son and secretary um, pointed toward one of the ads with a little girl holding the umbrella and said, this is the one. And he said, you know what? I think you guys are right. The whole story is right there in the picture because the whole point was this salt doesn't clump. When it rains, it pours. Right. And little and, uh, girls can't be trusted to be sent to the store by themselves because they ruin all the salt by keeping the nozzle open on the way home. Uh, some of the different um, slogans they had was flows freely, uh, runs freely, pours. It never rains, but it pours. And then they finally settled on when it rains, it pours. Yeah, that's the best one. Because it never rains, but it pours doesn't make any sense. They probably fired that person. <laughs> and uh, she's been updated one, two, three, four, five times. Oh, really? Yeah, the last time in 1968, and she's been the same since then. Yeah. And there was never a real model for that girl. That's a question they often get. She's totally made up. Yeah, because he was like, it's Morton's granddaughter is what you know you want to think. Selma. It's Selma Morton. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the story of the Morton. Er- Erskine. <laughs> That's an old-timey name if ever there was one. Huh? Erskine? Yeah. That's a college, right? No, it's like a person's name, I okay. think. Well, it's a college, too. Oh, okay. I had a friend that played soccer there. Erskine. Mm-hmm. Huh. E-R-S-K-I-N-E. There's a college named Colgate, too. It's like crazy to me. <laughs> uh, sea salt, sir, is next. Uh, it's going to cost you some more money mm-hmm. because of several reasons, one of which, if they go old school and in some parts of France, they still harvest this stuff by hand, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Uh, you might see it called Fleur uh, de Sel, which is French for flower of salt. And uh, it's not processed like table salt is. So you're going to have a lot of those trace minerals. Uh, it's going to be coarse and flaky. And, and it colors it, too. It can, for sure. Like you can have white sea salt, yeah. pink, black, gray, yeah. or a combination of them. Pink salts are traditionally associated with Himalayan salt. Yeah. Um, and the pink is often the result of um, things like copper. Or iron. Yeah. Or apparently um, there's a type that contains an algae, a salt-tolerant algae, which would make it an extremophile um, that gives it, it has the beta-carotene pigment in it, and that gives it a pinkish hue at salt. Interesting. A so pinkish you're, hue? You're eating algae, pink algae in your salt, wow. um, which is pretty neat. That is pretty neat. And that's Hawaiian, right, a lot of times? Uh, Hawaii has a different one, an alal. Alea. Oh, I read that as algae. Yeah, I did too a couple <laughs> times, and I was like, why would they separate these two out? And There's no G. No, it's a Hawaiian alea salt. Uh, it has iron oxide in it from the volcanoes. 
Oh, well, that makes sense. And Hawaii also produces black salt, too. From the lava? Yeah, and, and a little bit of charcoal. I'll have to try some of those, actually. And Yeah, and then there's gray salts, too, um, which is, uh, there's cell gris, which is from France, and then smoked salt is also gray, where they just take some salt and smoke it. Yeah. They put it over a smoky fire, and you have smoked salt. Do you like smoky uh, foods? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a little overbearing for me at times. Yeah. It, it, in the hands of, you know, I guess somebody who knows what they're doing with the smoked, it's good. Like, I like a good smoked meat all day sure. type of thing, but not necessarily like, uh, you know, when they'll add, like, artificial smoke uh, in the kitchen to a, to a meal. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Although smoked cheese is good. Oh, yeah, man. Man, good smoked hey, cheese. Hey, and thanks to fan uh, Hillary Lozar from, for sending us uh, some great cheese. Yeah. I that had was some... very good of you. <laughs> I had some of that smoked goody yesterday, actually, when I got home. I haven't had it yet. Is it good? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I walked in the door, I got a knife out. Yeah, nice. It's like, I got to try this stuff. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Hillary. So chefs and gourmands will say sea salt is what you want to be using because you're going to get a unique flavor from those uh, minerals that are not in table salt. Sure. I agree with them. It's tough to bake with, though. Yeah, it's tough to measure. You get a lot more precise measuring, for sure, from table salt. Right. And they don't recommend you bake with sea salt. No, because baking is a, a specific chemical reaction. Cooking is different. Yeah, they say that they, most chefs don't cook with sea salt, but they will just add it as a topper. But mm. I've cooked with sea salt, and I know plenty of chefs that cook with sea salt. Yeah. So I, I disagree with that. Um, well, they, with the topper, they mean like it's a finishing salt. It brings out like all the flavors if you sprinkle it on the yeah, top. Yeah, I mean, it's like definitely used for right that. Before you serve it. But I've also seen it used in the food. Right. So, well, that leads us to kosher salt. Apparently, yeah. some people like to cook with kosher salt. Yeah, and if for you sure. are using, following a recipe and you're switching out the whatever amount of salt is called for, you want to double it because kosher salt is larger, coarse grain salt. Yeah. And here to me is a fact of the podcast, one of several. Kosher salt is not necessarily kosher itself. It's used to make things kosher. Oh, you didn't know that? I didn't. I thought kosher salt was like salt that had been blessed by a rabbi or something. Right. Really, really? Yeah. I never understood it, but now I do. It's, it's salt they use to make things kosher. If you use table salt uh, to make something kosher, it's not going to work. Right. Kosher salt, because it's large and coarse-grained, uh, makes meat kosher by drawing the blood out because eating blood ain't kosher. Yeah. So if you salt it with kosher salt, it's going to draw the blood out of the meat, and bam, you have a kosher cut of steak, baby. Boom. And it's not iodized either, Right. by the way. Um, and then we have the redheaded stepchild of the salt family, rock salt, mm -hmm. which is used. Um, it's got a lot of impurities. It's unrefined. It's very large-grained. And it's used to melt ice on roads and sidewalks and to make homemade ice cream. Yeah. And probably some other stuff. But do you know of any other uses? Uh, I think rock salt's used in um, some chemical productions. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if you want to make a good industrial brine, rock salt's your, your man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Salt mining. That's how you get salt because it is a natural thing that exists in the earth. Um 
the largest producer of salt these days, no surprise, is China. Um, in 2012, they produced about 65 million tons. Uh, the U.S. is not too far behind at 44 million. Then you've got Germany, India, and Australia as the other leading uh, top five salt producers these days. Yeah. And India gets to profit from its salt production thanks to Gandhi. I guess so, huh? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty neat. I didn't think about that. They're number four on the list. Yeah, I think And they, they weren't were... even allowed to produce it not so long ago. No, they were allowed to produce it, but, but all of the England. money went to... Yeah. Okay. Jerks. So... Uh, there's three types of, of mining, main, three main types. There's deep shaft mining, uh, solar evaporation, and solution mining. And deep shaft mining is basically like any other type of mining where you just um, drill a shaft uh, down into a mine. Yeah, which an underground seabed is what, where the salt is. Right, that's where you get your salt. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's one of the facts of the podcast. Yeah. Um, like they're an ancient underground seabed. Ancient seabeds yeah. that dried up and the salt remained, and they formed um, these basically salt deposits that can be dozens or hundreds of feet thick yeah. and massively wide. And you drill down into these things. You create a couple of shafts. And then they usually use what's called a room and pillar system, yeah. which really helps. It's very difficult to explain, but if you see a picture of it, it makes perfect sense. Agreed. But um, you're basically creating a, a checkerboard pattern you, going down and in, in mining the, the salt deposit. So like you leave it. Blasting out a room. It, right. Yeah. You blast a room, but you leave a, a couple of adjacent rooms for support. Right. And then um, eventually you've, you've um, mined out all the salt, and then you fill it with industrial waste. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is one thing they do. So that's um, deep shaft mining. Yeah, and they'll remove the salt there and crush it and uh, haul it to the surface and further process it from there depending on what kind of salt you want in the end. Right, and there's this awesome mine um, called the uh, Wielichka Salt Mine mm -hmm. in Krakow, Poland, and it has a full-on cathedral made out of salt. What? Amazing. They have several, like, chapels, but then a full cathedral. Um, and it's all made out of salt. It's in this old salt mine wow. that's now a UNESCO site. Um, and they went to the trouble of boiling salt. It was a table salt mine. They would boil this raw salt and purify it and then use that purified salt to make crystal chandeliers out of salt. Shut like, up. Like, the whole cathedral is just salt. Wow. It's amazing looking. Man. Yeah, check it out. No goats allowed. No, <laughs> they would wreak havoc. <laughs> or no chucks allowed. I just walk around like licking stuff. Right. They they would ask you not to do that. <laughs> uh, deep shaft mining, by the way, I think is usually rock salt is what they're producing there. Right. And then there's solution mining. Yeah, that's um, basically they take a well over a salt bed and then inject water in there and make a brine and then pump it up from the uh, underground as, as a wet solution mm -hmm. and into a vacuum pan, which is going to seal it up and they're going to boil it and then evaporate it which is you know how they made salt back in the old days too they would you know boil it and evaporate it and then scrape the pan right so it's kind of a modern version of that right then they dry it out and refine it and then from there they're going to either add anti-clumping agents or iodine depending on what you want and then um with solution mining you've got like a salt bed or a salt dome that's exposed because it's somehow through tectonic action uh, an ancient seabed or salt bed uh, has been exposed to the the above ground. Yeah. Like the, the surface of the earth. Right. That and then what, what's the last one? 
Well, the old school solar method, um, solar evaporation. This is when you have a salt lake or seawater and wind and the sun cooperate with the shallow pools and they leave salt behind and you can only harvest it about once a year once it reaches a certain level of uh, harvestability, um, of thickness. And uh, like we said, sometimes it's still done by hand even, although it is uh, industrialized in other places for sure. But, you know, they wash it, they clean it, they drain it, but they leave the um, a lot of impurities in there, and this stuff is almost 100% pure sodium chloride. Gotcha. It's good stuff. And like I said, I use the Mediterranean version generally, but uh, Australia is big on it too, cool. on this method. And um, we should probably mention also that salt has a lot of uh, religious significance. Oh, yeah. It's just a, 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 it's an ancient, important thing to mankind yeah they would like use it to seal important uh things yeah in the old testament which is pretty old sure uh lot's wife i believe her name was sarah was it sarah or ruth who was married to lot turned into a pillar of salt when she looked behind her even though god said don't turn around i'll turn you into a pillar of salt yeah and she did and apparently there's a um there's a salt pillar at mount ararat um that's called lot's wife People are like, that's her right there. And who, who uh, is it Buddhists that ward off evil with salt? Yes. Um, Yumi has a little uh, shaker of salt that her mom put in her glove compartment of her car. Oh, really? Yeah. Just Isn't to shake at people if they like flicker off on the no, highway? No, just, just a protector. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah. See, I would have eaten it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I don't let you ride in Yumi's car. That's right. One of several reasons. Stay out of the glove box. <laughs> Uh, you got anything else? I do. I have this is a good thing. And there's a Roman senator named Cassiodorus, and he said, quote, Mankind can live without gold, but not without salt. Wow. And who was that? Cassio Keyboardus? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got Jerry again. Yeah, she's giggly today. <laughs> and I have a plug because here in Atlanta, there's a, uh, a lady who makes uh, salts. But uh, if you go to Facebook and type in beautiful briny sea salt, uh, go to her Facebook page and click on the about thing. You will see her lovely homemade handcrafted salts. And my favorite is the magic unicorn. How, see if this sounds good. Mm-hmm. Sea salt is, okay. of course, the uh, main ingredient. Smoked paprika, yeah. lemon, garlic, rosemary, and celery seed. Well, it does sound good. It's delicious. You get some broccoli and some cauliflower, uh-huh. some like beets and Big chunks of garlic. Throw it out the window, <laughs> then buy a steak and put this magical unicorn on it. Some olive oil, sprinkle it with this stuff, bake it in the oven. Delicious to go huh. with that steak. Nice. You know? Magical and, uh, unicorn. Yeah, magic unicorn is my favorite. Uh, and the black truffle salt is delicious. Mm-hmm. And then she has one called campfire, which is uh, smoked salt with cumin and ancho chili powder. Nice. And uh, if you email info at beautifulbrinyseasalt.com, you can order some of this stuff. That is very nice of you. And I told Emily, she's a friend of hers, I said, tell her I'm going to plug her so she better get her little fingers working. You know? Nice. Start making some salt. Yeah. Because the stuff you should know me is a salty crowd. So uh, if you want to learn more about salt, I don't know how you possibly could, but if you want to look into it, you can type the word S-A-L-T into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com and it will bring up this article, How Salt Works. And since I said uh, search bar, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this, we should apologize to cops. <laughs> what do we do now? Well, this cop wrote in, and I, well, I'll just read it. Is it the police chases one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey. they didn't like that one. 
Hey guys, my name is Glenn. I'm a police officer in Southern California. I've been enjoying the podcast for years. I suspect our political leanings may differ at times, but I always enjoy learning and listening to different points of view. Uh, I listened to the December 17th Manhunt podcast. That's not the police chase one. You're right. But I think it involves something like that. Uh, I felt it was very accurate, uh, with the exception of some information you provided about the LAPD. Um, we've bashed the LAPD before for their history of corruption. They have a pretty thick history of corruption. But they're not all bad ladies and men. Well, no, of course not. Um, you mentioned that officers were super jumpy during the manhunt for Christopher Dorner, which was a fair assessment. But uh, here is where you got something kind of wrong. Um, you stated that the LAPD fired on two uninvolved vehicles. Uh, it was the LAPD who shot at one and the Torrance Police Department who shot at the other. I could see how someone not from the area might think they were LAPD, so it's not that big of a deal. Okay. However, the bigger mistake is that you stated that these shootings killed two people. Nobody was killed. So I need to go back. I saw in several places that at least two people were killed. Really? Yeah, accidentally from those shootings. I'll go back and look again. Okay. But Glenn, Josh takes issue. Sir. Well, he's not the only one who's Officer. written in. I just haven't gotten around to going back and looking and double-checking. But, I mean, while we were researching, I, I came across that. And it wasn't like on a forum or message board or something. I think they were in articles. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, he was, Glenn says, I'm very surprised you would make such a statement without doing your homework. I did my homework. You typically appear to go to great lengths to fact check. Uh, sometimes I get the feeling you guys are not the biggest fans of law enforcement. I'm not naive and recognize my profession's shortcomings for sure. Just like you, though, I want facts um, influencing the show, not personal opinions. And this email was not intended to justify the actions of those two police departments, just to set the record straight. Understood. And despite the goof and the cop bashing, haha, I still love the show. That's from Glenn. Um, and Glenn, I don't hate cops. I love cops. Um, we've done a lot of like super supportive shows on law enforcement, I think. Sure. Chuck's like the law enforcement dude. <laughs> but I don't like jerks. And I think a lot of times people's experience with cops are when they're pulled over and not being helped by a cop, which is unfortunate. Sure. Because they do so much great work. But, you know, when you get pulled over and you're hassled by a jerk cop, you think, man, what a jerk cop. It's like eating at a bad restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You go that doesn't to a make good all restaurant, restaurants bad. You tell one or two people. You have a bad experience at a restaurant. You tell like 20 people. Yeah. It's like 50 full with cops. Yeah. So we have a lot of respect for law enforcement, for sure, uh, for all they do. Uh, so I hope that doesn't across, come across as any differently. Nice, Chuck. Very the insightful, too. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, thank you, Glenn. I'll, I'll uh, go back and double check. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll admit it. I just haven't had a chance to look again. We'll give them 20 licks. <laughs> Off of a block of salt. <laughs> yeah, from a goat. And I might die of hypernatremia. <laughs> Man, that wrapped it all up right there. If you want to get in touch with me and Chuck to correct us, to take issue with something we said, whatever, um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, hang out with us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you.